There we go. Matthew chapter 6, we're continuing in our study of uh, the Lord's Prayer, or the, um, it's what we call it, but in church tradition it was also known as the Our Father. Uh, we don't use that in our tradition, but it's a classic, classic model of how to pray that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has taught us and given to us as a gift. As we end this today, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, this will be the last uh, aspect of this prayer, the last petition that we're going to unpack. But I want us to remember that this, this prayer is a model prayer. It's a framework that not all of our prayers must follow to the letter, but it is a framework of, of the petitions of prayer that the Lord gives us to ponder as we come to God what is the spirit of our dependence upon his providence and his lordship and his love? What are the aspects here? So today we're looking at the final petition of the Lord's Prayer, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. But as we have been doing the last several weeks, I want us to recite this prayer together. And in your, in your uh, bulletin, you have uh, the, the Lord's Prayer listed out in the good old King James. Amen? And so please, if, let's do it one more time. Let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Let us pray this prayer in unison. We're not just reciting a bunch of words. These are the words that our Savior has given to us as a prayer. So let's do this with the attitude of prayer to the Lord in unison together. Ready? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Your Father God, we, we stand in awe, but we also stand with gratitude as we thank you for these words of your Son, Jesus Christ, as he has taught us to pray. We now come to the final petition of this prayer, and that is one of, dear God, protect us from evil so that we are not led into temptation. And I pray, God, that you would hear that prayer for all of us. We are sinners dependent upon the salvation possible through your Son, Jesus Christ, yet we are still living in, in a sinful world. Temptation surrounds us. We are tempted to our old ways. We are tempted by coveting what others have or perceive that they have. We are tempted, Father, in ways that are unmentionable. Even though we depend on your Son, Jesus Christ, for our redemption, Lord, we struggle. And I pray, God, that today this, this prayer would be a prayer that you would teach us how to depend on you as we come to you asking these words of delivering us from evil and leading us not into temptation. God, I pray that you would hear us, that you would protect us, that you would guide us, and that you would love us. Let this time be for your glory. Let this word that is yours speak boldly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, man, please have a seat. Temptations. It's interesting that uh, one of the, this is beyond this is before my time, but there was a 
a group in the 60s out of Motown called the Temptations, right? They're still around in some form or fashion, still doing concerts, I believe, right? The Temptations. And they were supposed, they sang really tempting songs, really love songs to people. Great music. Yeah, Motown music. I like Motown, don't you? But the temptations that we face every single day are, are those struggles of the faith that really we wrestle with. Any of, if you've been a part of Christ for any length of time, I promise you that the devil has come against you in some way to tempt you in ways that either you recognize or don't. Can we say amen to that? The believer in Jesus Christ is not free from temptation because we are still living in a fallen world and God's kingdom is here but not yet fulfilled and complete as we are promised it will be at the end of time. In the meantime, we are God's stewards of the gospel. We are, as we were looking at our membership class today, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And that mystery is the salvation that He makes possible through the blood of His Son. We are stewards of that. And in our stewardship, we will be faced with many opportunities to fall. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. We know of too many stories throughout church history, but even in our our contemporary days, of those great leaders of the faith who fall to temptation. Or maybe even a family member or a friend or a co-worker or somebody that you held dear in your own Christian life. They may have been mentors of you and they fell to temptation. And what does that do to their reputation and to the temp- uh, to the reputation of the gospel? We know it, it just it tears it apart. And so this last petition of the Lord's prayer, this is the last one. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then, of course, the King James and even the New American Standard adds this: For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lead us not into temptation. This last petition of the six petitions of this prayer brings with it, I think, both an obvious need of the one who is praying, the supplicant, while also raising some theological questions because the the need of the, the one who is praying is, dear God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What are we praying there? We're praying for God's deliverance and His protection and His strength and His and His divine glory to hold back the evil that's around us. We're going to look at that today. So that's one thing. It, it raises the need of the prayer, but it also, I think, raises some deep theological questions about does God's providence even uh, does it even control? Does God even control evil? Well, that's this, that's the struggle that non-believers have. If there's so much evil in the world, where is God? Is this prayer asking that God stop all evil? Let's look and see what this looks like. The first thought I think we have is that, that an honest prayer will ask God for protection from temptations. Because what does temptation lead to? When we fall to temptation, that leads to sin. Temptations lead to sin. And so for the first thought as we pray this is that we're praying for God's protection from temptation so that we do not sin. But in the previous petition before that in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, 
it raises this question. If we're forgiven of our sin, why does anyone really desire to return to it? You ever ponder that one? If God has honestly forgiven me of my sin, why do I now need to ask for deliverance from temptation so that I no longer sin? I thought I was free of it. I thought God wiped it clean by the blood. So that's some deep wrestling within the honest soul of the Christian. Let's figure this out. Because while salvation and the kingdom of heaven are present in the here and now, neither our sanctification and perfection in Christ is complete, nor is the full kingdom yet complete. So we were living in this time of tension. If God is sovereign, does God also direct our paths into temptation? That's a question that comes up from this prayer. Because we're asking, lead us not into temptation. And so you might scratch your head. Is it God who leads us into temptation? Let's take a look at that today. Is God then the author of evil and the cause of us to disobey Him? If God has delivered us from sin through the blood of His Son, is He now still leading us into sin? That's a turmoil within the Christian, isn't it? What's happening here? As it's been seen in, in this previous prayer in, in verse 12, forgiving us our debts, Jesus is teaching us important points, I think, in the relationship between the Christian and God the Father. Right? The last of these petitions is no different. I think this last prayer, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, is also teaching us something about our relationship to the Father. Okay? I think that the call for the protection from temptation and evil is perhaps the single greatest call for us to depend on God the Father and for God the Father to be involved in our lives. This one of all of them, I think, is one of the deepest, most powerful petitions of prayer. Dear God, please be involved in my everyday existence. Because if forgiveness is assured and do we agree that our forgiveness in Jesus Christ is assured and definite? That's the, that's the hymns we sang today. I chose a couple of those for a reason. Because our forgiveness and our salvation through Jesus Christ is not something that is so fragile that it will be broken apart and tossed away. It is assured in the promises of the Father through His Son. And we are called as His people to depend upon that. Because if forgiveness is assured, then I would argue God will protect His redeemed from another fall. We can be assured that God promises us, I will protect you from another fall, but there is dependence needed here too. Amen? Just as this previous petition of prayer on forgiveness that no one can be reconciled to God the Father unless accepted as a sinner. In the same way, I don't think anyone has the strength to live a holy life on their own. No one has the strength to live a holy life that is worthy of the name of Christ. No one has the strength to live a life worthy of the name of God Himself the Father. And so dependence upon God the Father for this strength to be holy is the means by which we obtain holiness. It's the dependence on God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ is where we depend on even the 
glimmer of hope of living a holy life apart from sin and temptation. Amen. Doesn't this sound like faith to you? Isn't that that great how God places us in positions where we have to trust Him? Sometimes I say, thank you, Lord, for forcing me to trust you. But then I say, but God, why do I have to trust you this way? And God's smiling. (laughs) He dusts us off. He says, move on. So this prayer is a prayer of deliverance from temptation, right? It's the prayer asking for God's hand, His assistance, His protection, and acknowledges the real threat that we live in. There's a real threat in the spiritual life of evil and temptation. We cannot ignore it. And any church that preaches a gospel that we are no longer tempted by evil and no longer tempted by sin, I think is a church that is misleading a lot of people down a path that's going to lead them directly to hell, I'm afraid. By diminishing the spiritual battle that is real, that is biblical, and actually if you are an honest Christian, you experience it. If you try to temper down the reality that, oh, there is no such thing as the devil anymore, or or, or Jesus is so powerful that the devil can't get to you, eh, we're leading people down a misguided path. We must pray constantly, dear God, lead us not into temptation, but dear God, deliver us from evil. It's an, it's a prayer of, of, of dependence. So now, now this last petition of prayer, it's, there's two parts here I want us to look at. Another way to rewrite this, first of all, let's look at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Another way to actually read this is praying this prayer. Uh, so that we may not be led to temptation, dear God, deliver us from evil. If you, if you turn that a little bit, so that we may not be led into temptation, dear God, deliver us from evil. I want you to think of it that way. And there's two parts here, temptation and evil. And I want to take a look at both of these. What is temptation? Let's figure this out first. Because many people as Christians feel that if they are experiencing temptations, they are somehow outside of the graces of God and they must not be saved because it's wrong for a for a Christian to be tempted. Temptation is not sin. If it was, then our Savior Jesus Christ was full of sin because He was tempted. Amen? We looked at that several back uh, probably early in the summer in, in Matthew chapter 4. Temptation is not sin. Succumbing to temptation is the sin. It's because of our weakness that we're prone to temptation. And therefore, we're dependent upon God the Father. We're dependent upon Him for protection. We're dependent on Him uh, for protection against the assaults that keep coming to us from Satan himself, the evil one. He's there. He's the prince of this world. Why? Because we've given Him that title. Amen? It's not that God established Satan as the prince of the world. It's what we have done that has given him that authority. And so he's he's willingly coming against us. So we need protection. The word temptation is generally used for any kind of a trial or a struggle. Anybody here struggle? Anybody feel like they're tempted, that they're going through a trial? Could be that it's the end of the month, or actually it's just the middle of the month now. Maybe your paycheck's gone, and you still got two and a half more weeks left, and you have no more money. You're in a trial. 
Now, that's not a temptation of the devil unless he's caused you to spend your money on things you're not supposed to, but that's really a, it's, it's a personal responsibility thing there. You're still in a trial. The word temptation means a trial or a struggle, and it implies in this prayer that it, that evil, a real thing, is tempting the faithful to fall. That's what's happening here. The idea here in Matthew 6.13 is the idea, really, it's, it's a testing of one's faith and obedience to God the Father. We're being tempted all the time to disobey the Lord. Now, to suffer a test is both a negative and a positive. Let's figure out what the result of a test through temptation, there's a negative and a positive. The negative sense of a temptation, the negative response to a temptation is the destruction of our relationship to the Father. I'm going to make that clear. The negative outcome of succumbing to a temptation, it damages our relationship to the Father. Okay? The negative response to a temptation is that we have lost, it's not that we've lost our salvation, it's destructive to our dependence upon God. It, it, it hinders our relationship to Him. The positive response to a temptation, in other words, if we successfully thwart a temptation and we do not succumb to the sin, the positive outcome of a temptation is that our maturity and faith strengthens. You see, so you got two, you got two outcomes here. If you succumb to the temptation and you fall, it's not that you've lost your salvation, but your relationship to the Lord is weakened. Your faith is diminished. But if you successfully, through the power of God, through His protection and His grace, are able to withstand the temptation, oh, think about the growth and maturity and the strengthening of your faith. Isn't that amazing? So really, we have to now ask the question, why are we saying, lead us not into temptation? If there's a positive outcome to temptation, dear God, tempt me all day long so that I can prove my worthiness. That's a dangerous prayer, but God will allow this. To, and we're going to look at this. God does allow these things to test our faith, but how are we don't dare invite it. Amen? Scripture shows us in a lot of places, there's many opportunities in Scripture to see that God does indeed provide a test to His faithful. Okay? He does this. It's possible. The strength of the faithfulness is revealed in the trials and temptations that God does allow. In Genesis 20, if you're taking notes, Genesis 21 verse 1, we read about Abraham as he's being tested by God, as God says, go sacrifice your favorite son Isaac. Think about that story. Here's what Genesis 22 1 says. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God allows tests for the purpose of strengthening the faith, determining the worthiness of the faith for the benefit of of the relationship and the benefit of the of the Christian. Now, Abraham, not in the term Christian, but he did trust the Lord. Amen? He had faith in, in God's righteousness. 
Exodus chapter 15, verses 25 through 26 also shows us that God tests the children of Israel in the wilderness. Remember, the, the children of Israel, as they came out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness for a long time. And God tests them a lot. <laughs> and in this passage, Exodus chapter 15, He tests them in a place called Marah, where the bitter water was made drinkable. Here's what it says in verse 25 and 26. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there He tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. He tested them, tested their faith. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, and this is the last one, it shows God's gift of manna. You know the story of manna? God's gift of manna was a test of obedience to His people. It says here in, in Exodus 16, verse 4, the Lord, or then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So a test is God's way of saying, okay, let's figure out the status of our relationship. I've heard that before from young people in their 20s. They talk about we have to discuss the status of our relationship. Where are we in our relationship? God does this with His people. It's biblical. He will He will want to make sure how, how faithful we really are. Do we truly depend upon Him? Now, we have to also make a distinction here. It's God who tests. It's Satan who tempts. I want to make that very clear in Scripture. God does not tempt. God tests. And that's to see whether or not we really depend upon Him. Satan, on the other hand, brings temptation to see if we will fall. But God will often permit satanic temptation as a part of the test. Can we say the book of Job? Bringing a lot of trials and suffering to tempt Job to curse God and die? God is even in control of the evil that is in this world. Doesn't mean that God created the evil, doesn't mean that God initiates the evil, but God in His sovereignty will control the outcome of what the evil is allowed to do for the purpose of testing our faith. It does happen. We have to remember here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, that the type of temptation that Jesus is teaching us about here is those temptations that come from Satan himself. Let's look back at six, uh, chapter 6, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or in some translations, the evil one. We'll get into that here in a minute. If you'll flip over to First uh, Peter chapter 5, let's take a look at what Peter reminds us here about the role of satanic temptations. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's biblical. Satan's out there. 
Now, he's got, he has a predetermined end, and we know what that end will be. In the book of Revelation, we make, we see a very clear outcome that he and all of his demons and angels will end up where? In the lake of fire. Eternal torment. Done. That's their outcome. And Peter reminds the faithful in the letter of 1 Peter that I believe the ladies' class started looking at today, right? Yeah. So I'm giving you a a precursor to several weeks down the road. The idea that we live in a fallen world that the evil of this world hates the gospel, they hate Jesus Christ, and in such they will hate us because of it. And the Satan is out there. The context of this call that Peter's talking about in chapter 5 is actually for the young men of the church to be humble under God's mighty hand of care. Men in this room, do we understand the temptations that we face as men? Peter is calling the men of the church, the leaders of the church. That's the context of 1 Peter chapter 5. The shepherds of the church, be careful. Satan is out there. Be cautious. Amen? This is why I covet your prayers for me. Here's the pastor of this church. You've, you've granted me the, the, the humble privilege. Actually, it's the scary privilege of, of, of leading you. It's a scary privilege because Satan is out there and he's prowling around looking to, to devour some folks. Right. Although the remnant of the church here, Jesus, I mean, Peter does talk about a remnant of the church that is still surviving in the, the great diaspora or scattering of his people. Peter's addressing the great suffering and trials that they're enduring. And so Peter, I think, is rightly encouraging them that the suffering is controlled by God's providence. This is where we're going to see how God is even allowing the prowling of the devil for the purpose of spiritual growth and God's glory. Let's go, drop down there to verses 9, 9 and 10, right? Stay there at 1 Peter 5, drop down to verses 9 and 10. He says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why is God allowing these trials and temptations of his faithful? It's so that they will, their, their faith will be confirmed, that the glory of Christ will be, will, glory, will be proclaimed, that our connection and dependence upon Christ is strengthened, and so that to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see that? This is why temptations come. This is why trials come. But Jesus is telling us to pray this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's take a look at what he means here. Let's flip back over to Matthew chapter 6. Now, the second part of this, we looked at the first part about temptations. Now, we we don't want to confuse temptations and trials, but temptations are part of trials. Okay, Let's make sure we understand that. The second half of this verse asks that God the Father deliver us from evil. Now, some scholars translate this, deliver us from the evil one. And that's right. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a legitimate translation as well. The NIV does this, but it's the evil one. 
without getting into the Greek syntax and grammar, it, it, both translations are correct because where is evil? Who is the source of evil? The evil one. We're going to look at this too. Just as all of, cre- just as all of creation has a beginning, all that there is has a beginning, a cause. God caused all of the world to be. Evil also has a cause, but it's not God who caused it. Scripture indicates that this cause of evil is two parts. Number one, Satan, also known as the tempter, he rebelled against the heavenly host. And we see this in Luke chapter 10. We see it in Ezekiel chapter 28. We see it in Isaiah chapter 14, if you're taking notes. We don't have time today to go through all of that. But I'll say this again. Luke chapter 10, Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 14, all shows that Satan, Lucifer, was God's most beautiful angel. And what was the cause of his fall? I am so beautiful. Look at me. I am more beautiful than God. His pride elevated him to the point of rebellion and fall. Satan, Lucifer, the most beautiful angel. So ladies, as much as you desire beauty, what is one of the number one cautions in Scripture for the ladies of the church? Be cautious that your beauty does not become your pride. That was the source of Lucifer's fall. He was the most beautiful of God's angels. That's what the Scriptures tell us. And he fell because he wanted God's place. He became conceited. He was envious. And he wanted to be God. That's the source of all evil right there. The second part of this Evil, the source of evil has two parts. The first one is Satan fell through pride and envy and desire to be God. The second part of evil is that we as human beings, we fell and we embraced it. Right? The human fall in Genesis chapter 3, we succumb to the temptations of the serpent and the serpent is also, the serpent was the form of Satan. Satan took this form. We see here in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now some scholars speculate that um, Satan actually embodied this creature called the serpent, kind of like Satan can embody a lot of other people and things. I'm not going to go into there. That's a different thought. But clearly we see in Genesis chapter 3 the nature of the serpent. He was crafty, and boy did he cause damage. But the free will of Adam and Eve succumbed to that temptation. Let's make sure we understand that. So evil has two, as a twofold source. Satan falls, humans embrace it. That's the twofold aspect of evil. So the devil or Satan, let's remember this, all throughout Scripture we see that, that Satan himself is for Jesus and many of the gospel writers the chief enemy of the gospel. He's the chief enemy of Jesus and and, and the establishment of the kingdom. Whenever Jesus is here in the Gospels, we see a spiritual warfare all the time between him and the satanic forces of evil. And he's here to overcome it, to conquer it, and to take back that which was God's in the very beginning and always is. Amen? 
to also redeem us back. And so the final and complete defeat of these beings, these satanic, demonic beings, it's, it's, it's expected at the end of time during the final judgment. But in the meantime, the Lord of these demons, Satan, or the evil one, right, is the one who's prowling around. Although both of the Old and the New Testament speak often of demon possession and exorcism, we in our modern day, we're too scientific and, and calculated to believe in such foolishness. Demon possession and exorcisms. But Jesus is not teaching us here in, in, in Matthew 6, He's not teaching us to pray for protection against exorcisms or protection against possession, of demon possession. Even though it's real, it's there. Okay, This prayer, I think, is more specific to the protection from temptation caused by these demons and Satan. Right, And so the combination of this last petition, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. I think this emphasizes a continued theme throughout the prayer of dependence upon God. Because if Satan, the evil one, tempts the Christian, tempts the church, then the Christian depends upon God the Father for protection and strength to resist. We are not able to resist the temptations of the devil on our own. I want to make sure that we understand that very clearly. Because if we depend upon our own strength to resist temptation, we have taken God out of the equation and we've elevated ourselves again to the level of pride and to the level of God. I can take care of this. No, we can't. We must constantly be praying, Dear God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a regular prayer of the saint. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's not that you resist the devil on your own power. You must submit yourself therefore to God as an act of resistance. And when you do, the devil can't stand. Amen? When God permits the experience of temptation, and He does... He's taking us through a trial. The Puritan theologian J.C. Ryle says this, Trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, to drive us to our knees. You see the steps here? God allows the temptations of the devil to take us through trials so that Number one, it causes us to think. I know Christians aren't supposed to do that, right? We're supposed to feel. But we are to be thinking Christians. And these trials and temptations wean us from dependence on the world. And these trials and temptations are then what sends us to God's Word. And then it sends us to our knees. The position of kneeling prayer is a position of submission and surrender. We don't kneel and pray anymore, do we? Kneeling is an act of submission before the Lord. And when I'm telling you, 
Some of the most fervent crying out to the Lord in prayers for me have been those times I have been through the greatest trials I could ever imagine. And it forces us on our knees. That's where God wants us. And so Jesus here, He overcomes this temptation. Here's the the glory of the gospel. We're going to be done with this. But I think deeper still, the prayer of praying from deliverance from evil here calls us to a greater intimacy in the gospel. Okay? Because Jesus, having been tempted, and not just those three temptations we read about in Matthew chapter 4, I'm convinced. He was tempted throughout his entire life. He was constantly dealing with the attacks of Satan and his demons. Jesus empathizes with us. He empathizes with fallen humanity because Jesus was tempted too. He's not commanding us to pray a prayer of lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil if he himself has not endured the same. Because when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. It was God who directed this even for his son. Jesus empathizes with us because he's done it too. But remember that the temptation is a test. I want to drive that home. If God allows this and permits this, temptation is a test to demonstrate the worthiness of the faithful. Now, we cannot be worthy. Let's remember that. None of us are worthy of salvation, but the temptations that God allows into the lives of the faithful test the level of worthiness. It is possible that this prayer implies both the trials of everyday living, but also the trials of the final tribulation that will come. We're going to be going, the church is guaranteed that there will be a time of tribulation. And so some scholars argue that this is also leading to the end times. But whatever this is, whatever the hermeneutical hair splitting is, it all points back to the one theme here throughout this entire model prayer, dependent on the Father. That's what this is pointing back to. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The theme of dependence is running through it. So when we pray, Jesus is saying, depend upon the Father. Trials and temptations are tests of our character, tests of our faith, tests of our worthiness. And if God loves you, I promise you, He's going to to take you through some trials. He may cause a few. He may let you cause a few. How many of us can admit that we cause our own trials and temptations? God is not the author of every trial and temptation. A lot of times we do it to ourselves. But God is even in control of that as a good father does. Huh, you did that on your own. Let's see how you get out of it. Amen? So where are you in this prayer? I want want to close with this thought. Where are you in this prayer? 
are you in the midst of trials? Are you in the midst of a trial that you caused on your own? Depend on the Father. Are you in the midst of a trial that God is actually allowing in your life to test your worthiness? Depend on the Father. Are you in the midst of a trial where your mind is going 100 miles an hour with so many different worries in your, in your life that you can't fathom how to get out of it? Depend on the Father. Where are you right now? Pray this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And of course, the King James adds this last clause here. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And if you're wondering why the modern translations don't have that, it's because that phrase was not originally in the earliest known Greek manuscripts. It was apparently added somewhere down the line. doesn't mean it's negative. It's a beautiful added addition to the prayer. But many biblical scholars admit that when they study all of the Greek manuscripts, it was not in the earliest copies. Somehow it was added. doesn't mean that it, it just takes away from the importance, though. Because when we depend on the Father, it's His kingdom and His power and His glory that is manifested through our prayers. Amen? So this last part of the prayer, this conclusion emphasizes the theme and purpose of Jesus' prayer, the power and the glory of God the Father that is called upon to be perfected and involved in the fallen world. We are praying when we, well, when we pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are praying, dear God, please, 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 please be involved in our world. Be involved in my walk with you. Be involved in every aspect of the fallen world that we must live in. Our lives as citizens of the kingdom depend entirely upon God's love and His provision. It depends entirely upon His power and His glory. So what is the theme and purpose of this prayer? Dependence on the Father. What is the theme and purpose of your prayer? I'm just going to let that settle. Let's pray. Father God, we pause here at the end of listening to your deep, rich word. And I pray, God, that you would cause within each and every one of us dependence upon your holiness, dependence upon the blood of your Son. That is why you call us to pray. First of all, God, I encourage you and I, 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 I beg you to cause us to pray. And when we pray, Father, I pray, I ask that you would cause us to pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Dear God, we need you. And we live in a fallen world. We are sinners dependent upon your mercies and your grace. And so God, I pray that we who have been redeemed through the blood of your Christ, those of us who you hold dear, that you hold fast, dear God, that you would cause us to depend on you in our prayers. Father, I ask at this moment that you would fill this room with your love, 
that you would cause these walls of pride to be broken so that we come into your presence. I'm not certain how each of us are dealing with our own trials and temptations, but God, you do. I pray, God, that you would cause us to lean on you in that. That you would allow us to see how you are causing us to grow and to mature in our dependence on you through this. Even if it is an end that we do not see coming tomorrow or an end that is so cloudy that we we just have lost all hope, I pray, God, that your Spirit would dwell within us and call us back into your embrace and to trust you even though we can't see. Lord, I pray for your involvement in our lives, each person in this room and each person hearing these words. We are all lost without you. And we thank you for the blood of your Son that atones for, pays for the debt we owe you. I pray, God, as we struggle in this world that you would cause us to have the strength that we need to give you glory in the midst of it so that people see the holiness of your word and the love of salvation through your Son. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen.